Good morning. Good morning. Um, we just do something weird this morning as the kids are leaving. Uh, I love weird stuff. It's how awesome I, uh, my brain it works. Um, can we just maybe lift our hands this morning? This doesn't feel good. Just stretch a little bit. Just get them up there. Um, isn't that good? And let's just this morning, while they're up here, just how about this? Um, let's just tell God he's great. God, we want to worship you this morning. God, and we don't care who sees it. <laughs> um, because you're great. So God, we're pointing up at you. To point all the attention at you. Because God, it's all about you. God, it's not about me. It's not about my feelings. It's not about where my heart is. It's about you. Good day, bad day. You're still great. World falling apart. World put together. It's all about you. God, this morning we believe you got it in your hands. And God, this morning we want to worship you for that. So God, we thank you. We worship you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, just wanted to stretch this morning. Um, man, uh, if you got your Bible, flip open to 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to get a drink of water and mute myself so you don't have to listen. Good morning. morning. That's better. Thank you. Um, Man, so excited to be here with you guys this morning and so excited just to talk about um, this word that God has given us. Um, The past few, I guess maybe last week we started it, right? We started this series called Heaven is Open. Yeah, thank you, John. High five. Uh, You got me, brother. Um, We started a series called Heaven's Open. And um, I know Maybe you're like, uh, okay, cool, that's amazing. I don't know what you mean by that, but let's just go for it. So um, it's an amazing truth this morning. It really is. I don't know if you think so or not, but I do. Um, Because heaven is, in fact, open today. What do you mean by that, Brad? Well, I mean, if you could picture the entrance of heaven with me, um, whatever that looks like to you, pearly gates maybe, or some golden elevator into escalator, I guess, that's the moving stairs, uh, into heaven if you watched Tom and Jerry a long time ago, whatever that was for you, right? Um, Hanging beside the entrance to heaven this morning is a sign that says vacancies, that there are still like rooms available, right? There's still a place in heaven for people, um, and that's a reality this morning. See, I think um, if you've grown up in church, you've been around church, or maybe even you've just not been around church and you're here this morning because you're just grasping for something. Um, I just want us to come back to the realization that our God is still the God who saves. Oh, I never knew, didn't ever uh, think he wasn't. Well, then we need to act like it, right? See, the reality this morning is our God is still the God who saves. I think a lot of times in the church we settle for like one or two people a year, right? Like, oh, I've just, uh, little Jimmy's getting about 13. It's getting time. We just need to pray for little Jimmy. It's about his deal. And we're just like, man, that would be enough, right? And I love little Jimmy. I hope little Jimmy gets saved. But um, I think God has a bigger plan than that. So you can even see in the, in the intent, in the heart of the master, in the, the only verse like we ever really learned, right? John three sixteen that God so loved the world, that's everybody, that he gave Jesus, his one and only, one of a kind, precious son, that whosoever, that's uh, everybody again, right, would believe in him, would not perish, would not die, but have everlasting life. 
Now see, when I look at that, and you look at that, that view of the world, what, what God's not talking about there is, I'm going to have a church of about 52 people, and uh, every once in a while, somebody's going to come up and give their life to Jesus. What he's saying there is he's sending us on a mission, right? God loved the world. He loved the world, like the people on it, not the ball, everybody on it, so much that he gave Jesus, his one and only precious son, to die for the world. So that anybody and everybody, right, that would be called, that would believe in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. And somewhere along the line, we've bought into the lie that the church is somehow defeated. You felt like that? Church is over. Church has problems. I get that. Right? Like, amen. Standing in the middle of one, I've, I've learned that. Church has problems. You know why? Because people have problems, and the church is made up of people. And the church is always going to have problems, but it doesn't make the church dead. If we would be obedient, we wouldn't have problems. That's like check number one. If we'd be focused on the mission, we wouldn't have problems. That's like check number two, because you can't, if you're focused on everything else other than the mission, guess what? You're going to have problems. The church isn't defeated, and God still has has a desire to save people. Right? Not just church people, by the way. Not just people that dress a certain way, by the way, or act a certain way, by the way. If you look at Jesus in his ministry, he never hang out with church people, did he? I don't think he liked them very much because they had problems. Right? And they didn't even know it. Maybe that's why he didn't like them very much. If you're not going to be honest about it, I just won't hang out with you. And Jesus went out into the world, right? And he found people that had problems. And he shared the story of the love of God with them. Heaven is open today. That's a reality. That's fact. God is still inviting people in today. That's a reality. That's a fact. And if we can get a hold of that, that verse where Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. If we would just get away from that lie, man, maybe we would see it. Maybe we would see it. In the past few weeks, we've been kind of talking about that, and this morning we're going to do that in 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians, um, it's a letter written by Paul. It's the second letter that we have anyway, written by Paul to the church at Corinth. I feel like we say that a lot, right? Like Paul by the church at blah, blah, blah. Like he, he wrote a lot of stuff. I don't know if you've caught on to that yet, but he did. Um, which is pretty amazing. And the beginning of chapter 5 deals with our future after death, like what happens to us after we leave this place if we're people who know Jesus. And, and that's amazing. Maybe like later on you should go home and read that. There, it stirs a little bit of hope. Like what we have on this planet is hope that when we leave this place, we're going to somewhere better where Jesus is. And that's kind of what they're talking about in the beginning of chapter 5. And you're like, well, that's great. I love talking about heaven But then in 11, there's this transitional verse, and it says that knowing then the fear of the Lord. We don't ever want to talk about that, do we? What's fear of the Lord mean? Well, it obviously means like respect, right? Like the respect of the Lord. And that's probably somewhat true, but I think really there's also some truth in the word that's there, right? I'm not saying run around and be scared. God's going to strike you down. I'm not saying that. But maybe there's a healthy fear of the Lord. And I think the fear here is knowing what we are headed towards, right? Knowing that we are headed towards heaven, knowing that one day we're going to leave this place and we're going to go be with him. There's a group of people out there that are not, and I'm scared of that. 
knowing the fear of God has offered forgiveness freely, but not everybody's going to get that. Knowing the fear of the Lord, listen to what he says, we persuade people. What do we persuade people? We share the gospel. We try to tell people of the love of Jesus. We try to tell people that they are sinners, A, right? You can't be saved if you don't know what you're being saved from, that they are living actually in sin. But on the flip side of that, there is a loving God who came and he already took the punishment for all that sin. And all you got to do is believe in him and you can be headed towards that place as well. It's amazing. And then he goes on, he says some other things, blah, 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 blah. You get down to 15, and he says, and he died, he being Jesus, died for who? All, everybody, whatever your Bible version says, right? Like he died for all. Who did he die for? Little Jimmy? Yes. Who did he die for also? Everybody else that's not little Jimmy. Who did he die for? He died for the church people. Also, who did he die for? The not church people. Who did he die for? The people you like. Also, who did he not die for? Who did he die for? The people you don't. Everybody. Right? He died for all. One time, Jesus died. And in that moment, he covered everybody. And he died for all so that, here's where it gets exclusive, those who live, now not those who have breath, And not in those who have a heartbeat, but those who are spiritually alive. Like we talked about last week in Ephesians 2, right? Like we were dead Christians. We were dead people that know Jesus. We were dead people that have given your life to him. That was our state. But now we're what? Alive. Spiritually. And it says here, he died for all, everybody, covered everybody, so that those who live, that's an exclusive group right there, should no longer live for themselves. Wow, revolutionary idea in the church, right? Man, amen, hallelujah, let's go home. It's not about you anymore if you know Jesus, right? Here, let me just get down to it with you. At some point in time, you have to decide you're going to follow him or you're not. Amen? You're like, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. I go to church. Who cares? It's not what he said. When did he, he said that like one time. Don't forsake the assembling of the brethren, right? It's in Hebrews. It's important, but it's not the biggest deal, is it? Oh, but I listened to Caleb. That's not in there. That's great. Hallelujah. Amen. I like it. It's not in there. Oh, but I read the Bible maybe three times, right? Oh, but I pray prayers. That's great. People all over the planet pray to rocks and sticks. What's that make you different? Here's the reality. Following Jesus is about more than coming to church and reading the Bible. At some point in time, like James says, we've got to quit being hearers of the word, and we have to be doers of the word. That's following Jesus, and it's different. Yeah. Amen. You got one this morning. You're here. You followed that one verse. Hallelujah. That's not the big picture. That's not the pat on the back moment this morning. He says, hey, you want to follow me? Jump in and follow me. I gave my life for you. Give yours to me. It's a pretty good trade. If you want to go live for yourself, just realize you might be lost and have a good time. If you want to go not follow Jesus, just realize maybe you don't know Jesus and have a good time. Amen. You're like, Brad, that's harsh. No, it's truth. I love you, so I will tell you. 
If you never have an ambition to follow Jesus ever in your life, you're just like, I'm going to come to church so I feel good, or I'm going to try to just be good because that makes me feel good and it makes me feel loved. You might possibly have not meant anything when you said that prayer, and you may be lost. And this is a big boy game right here. It's a, it's a big chances game right here. It's an all-in game right here. And I don't want you to slide all your chips to the middle because you come to church. Because I don't want you to realize when you die that you never knew him, right? This is not a I changed my radio station kind of game here. It's a either I know him and I love him and I desire him and I want him, therefore I try to be pleasing to him kind of game, or it's a you may be lost kind of game. And that's why he's talking about heaven and then he transitions into this truth, knowing then the fear of the Lord. I'm not following him out of fear. I just have a fear that other people aren't following him. Knowing then the fear of the Lord, we persuade people. Last couple weeks ago, we talked about Isaiah 6, right? And he said, he saw God and he said, what? I'm a, oh, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm going to die. I've seen God and I can't be here. I'm a sinner. But then what does he say? I dwell among a people of unclean lips. See, the reality of it is if we've ever seen God, it brings not a condemnation for others, but a concern for others. And this is the moment they're living in. And it says here in 15, here's the power of it. And he died for everybody. So that those who live, anybody who knows him, right? Not those who go to church, who cares? Not those who sing the songs, who cares? Not those who said the prayer, who cares? So that those who are actually alive should no longer live for themselves. It's not about you. But should live for the one, right? Jesus, the one who died for them and was raised. Amen. We ready? We ready, right? Thank you. There's so much truth right there, like we don't have to really talk about anything else this morning, do we? Like if we could just get that, the church would be changed, we would be changed. All the problems and things that come up out of the church are because we're not willing to be obedient to the other verses in the Bible. Amen. Amen. All the people out there that are lost that have never heard the gospel, guess what? It's because we're not willing to be obedient to the mission of the Bible. It's not because we're uncomfortable. It's because we're not going to be obedient to it. We don't really want to. What does Paul say? Romans 9, right? Oh, I wish that I could trade almost. I almost wish I could trade my salvation so that those around me could come to know him. That's what he says. I would almost trade. I would almost trade. You know why? Because mom needs it so bad. I would almost trade. My, my concern is so bad. My heart is so broken that I'm, I'm at the point where, man, I, I would almost go there because I don't want her to. I don't want them to. It's not some foreign idea, right? It's the mission of the church. And this is what he's talking about. You're like, Brad, that's hard. Amen. Never meant to be easy. That's why people walk away. Right? 
That's why Jesus said things every once in a while, like crazy things, like, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, I don't want a part of that. I'm not a cannibal. No, I mean, you got to be that with me, right? you got to be that in union with me. And people walked away. But they knew where they stood, didn't they? And at some point in time, what verse 15 tells us is if we've died, or we were dead, and now we're alive, we got to either choose if we're going to follow him or we're not going to follow him. Because the only reasonable response to a man who is God that gave everything for us is we give everything right on back. Well, how do you do that? Well, in 16 it says, from now on, guess what? Here it comes. We were dead and now we're alive. From now on. Then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Step one, we quit seeing people how we used to see people. How do people that are lost see people? As tools. When they meet your needs, they can be your friend. When they meet your needs, they can be your whatever. It's not about that, is it? What's the Bible say? It's not about, it's not a battle between flesh and blood, but against angels, principalities. It's not a physical battle, so we need not physical eyes, but spiritual eyes. What he's saying here is before the cross, you have the luxury of deciding, like, who's worthy and who's not worthy, right? You can figure out who you like and who you don't like before the cross. You have that luxury. Before the cross, you can figure out who you want to forgive and who you don't want to forgive. You can figure out who's rich and poor and who, where you want to put yourself before the cross, right? Before the cross, you, you can see people. You have the luxury of just seeing people how you want to see people. If you don't want to like somebody before the cross, you don't have to. If you don't want to forgive somebody before the cross, you don't have to. If you don't want to love people before the cross, you don't have to. If you don't want to do good for people before the cross, you don't have to. If you, don't, if you don't want to invest in people before the cross, you don't have to. You know why? Because you have physical eyes and you can deal in the physical place. But what he's talking about here is we can't see people in a natural way anymore after the cross. We no longer have the luxury of deciding who we do and who we do not like. You don't believe me? I've got verse after verse after verse that will back that up. Right? We don't have the luxury anymore of deciding who we're going to forgive and who we're not going to forgive. Be obedient or don't. We don't have the luxury of deciding who we're going to invest in and who we're not anymore after the cross. You know why? Because we're not the judge. What did God say right after 3.16? He said 3.17. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so the world through him might be saved. And here's the deal, church. If God didn't come to condemn, he did not leave that as our mission. The church is far too quick to hold up signs. God hates blank, blank, blank. That's a lie. Jesus died for every one of those people. Don't you dare hold up that sign. The church is far too quick to jump on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and rant about all manner of sin. Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Yes, sin is wrong. Yes, sin is offensive. You are not the judge. You are there to love. And when questioned about why you love them when they act that way, because they'll see the difference if we ever decide to be obedient, right? 
Why do you love me? You're so different than me. Why do you love me? No Christian's ever treated me that way. Why do you forgive me? Why do you hang out with me? Why do you want a part of me? Because Jesus wants a part of you. We don't have the luxury anymore to decide who gets Jesus and who doesn't get Jesus. Religious people, you decide. Church people, you decide. If you're going to follow Jesus, you shut your mouth. Everybody gets a shot and God will decide. Amen? Who's the judge? He is. He didn't leave that to you. You're not an under judge. You're a mouthpiece. You're a vessel. You're a messenger. And that's in and out of the church because you don't know who's saved. There's a room full of people, and I guarantee you, every week we meet with people that don't know Jesus. In and out. And if you can't be love, you aren't being obedient. And you need to get over yourself, and you need to jump into what he says and read and be obedient. Sorry if it hurts. I love you too much. I love you too much. He says, we can't see people in a purely human way anymore. You don't know what they've done to me. No, I do not, but I know what I did to Jesus. You don't know what they said about me. You don't know what they continue to say about me. No, I do not, but I know I'm continually offensive to Jesus. Yesterday, offensive to Jesus, right? The day before, offensive to Jesus, and he forgives. Every single day, mercies are new, every morning. That's not just for him. It's for the little hymns. What's Christian mean? Little Christ. Be it. Be it or take the t-shirt off. And he says, even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, here's the reality this morning. Here's the problem this morning. Here's the highlighter this morning. Here's, here's the issue. We can know him in a purely human way. He's a good teacher, right? Heard people say that? Purely human way. It's on the surface. Amen. Read it. He's a great teacher. Better teacher than we'll ever be. Oh, he's a great moral man. That's amazing and true. He's the most moral man that's ever lived on the planet. He kept all 613 commandments every day that he had breath. He's the most moral man that's ever lived. Never thought a bad thought, never said a bad thing. He was perfect. He didn't get righteousness from anything. He exuded righteousness. It's who he was. And you can see that, and you can, you can be amazed by that, and you can sit here week after week and, and, and soak that up. He was crazy, right? Some people, oh, he was crazy. Dude was a nut. He was not the son of God. There's no such thing. Like, that's not, that's not a reality. That's a purely human way to view Jesus. And there are people all over the planet that hold that. And the reality of it this morning is, why would he write that to the church? Because there's a possibility, maybe a possibility. The reason we don't act like we have life is because some of us don't. We just see him as a good teacher. He says, we all used to see him that way. He says, yet we, those who are alive, no longer know him like that. 17, therefore, because of that, look back. Don't just read this verse on the verse of the day. What's the context? Therefore, what's it there for? Therefore, because, right? We don't see people in a purely human way, and we don't see Jesus in a purely way. Because of that, if anyone is in Christ, who's he writing this letter to? The church. 
Why do you use the words if? Because not everybody knows it. If. Isn't it assumed we all showed up today to listen to your letter, Paul? Isn't it assumed we all sang the songs before we got here? It's not what he says, though, is it? He says, if. There's a possibility this morning. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. If anyone is in, this word in means in union or in relationship. It's a marriage word. It's a bonding word. If anyone has a relationship with Christ or they are in Christ, there is a new creation. They're new. I love that. It doesn't say they're a refurbished creation, does it? We spend too much time trying to be good and clean up our life. Is that what it says? They're a repainted creation. Is that what it says? They're a gutted house flipped creation. Is that what it says? Jesus is not a house flipper. It says they are a new creation. They're completely different. Well, how that work? Because it says right here beside it, um, old things have passed away. Old you, dead. The dead you is dead, right? It's gone. Old things are passed away. Old uh, vision is passed away. Old thoughts passed away. Old attitudes passed away. Old pride passed away. Old habits passed away. All those things are dead. You may still kind of stumble over them every once in a while because maybe they're laying dead in the floor and you trip over that dead thing. But let's just be honest. They're not there anymore. Old things are passed away. And look, new things have come you're new with new vision right and new thoughts and new (laughs) everything you're not like gutted with the same old frame you're the new thing if you are in christ not if you said a prayer sometime not if you go to church not if you have Christian t-shirts or if you change your radio station, but if you're in a relationship with Christ, newsflash, obedience is a thing that we do because the old things, they're gone. Yeah, it's hard. I read stuff in the Bible and I'm like, I hate that. Why did you put that there? You know why? Because I'm bad at it. You don't get saved and magically become good at everything, but you read it and the things that you don't want to do or the things you do want to do, all have to bow to this. Amen. Amen. I was stomping around mad yesterday like an idiot. I'll be honest. I walked up, I was here, (laughs) I walked up to Nick and I was like, dude, I'm not mad at you. I just want you to know I'm not mad at you. And I had to get over it. You know why? Because it's not about me. Never has been. Never one time has been. Does that display Jesus? You can say no. You can hurt my feelings. I already know the answer. Does that display Jesus? No. No, it does not. We had a room full of kids here that may or may not have known him. So I had to get over it. You know why? Because it's more important they know Jesus than I get to be mad and express my feelings. That's why. I walked up to John the second I got here. Hey, pray for me. I'm mad and I don't need to be. I know I don't need to be. I told you I was being a baby, didn't I? Yep, he prayed for me. It's okay. I'm still living in this body. I hate it. Thank God we're leaving one day. 
But here's the reality. Above the gospel, my feelings don't matter. He says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. We've got a new brain, right? Still thinks about the old stupid stuff, but we know what mission we're on. Old things have passed away. You've got to kill them every day, but they're dying. And look, new things have come. In 18, it says, now everything is from God. Just in case we get prideful about our good behavior and how good we are and how good we are at keeping the law and how good we can be, he's saying right here, it's not from you. You might be the most moral person you've ever met, and none of that is from you. It's all from Jesus. You didn't do a thing. You were dead, and he brought you back to life, so get over yourself. That's what he's saying. Don't be prideful. You're not good at it either. Um, if you just be honest, everything we got is from God. Every righteousness we have, all the salvation, that's from God. You didn't do anything to get that. It wasn't because you impressed him with your these and your thous and your prayer. That wasn't the deal. Everything is from God. Who, here's God's part, reconciled us to himself through Christ. Reconciliation is a, is a word that means to bring back into friendship or agreement, meaning, A, we were not in friendship or agreement with God. I love it when people say, I've, I've always been saved. No, you haven't. If you have, then you're just as dead now as you were then, right? Like, you're, you've not always been saved. There has to be a moment that you come back into friendship or agreement. There's a reconciliation moment where Jesus takes your hand and he places it back in God's hand. And if you don't have that moment, then you are not saved. Again, love. I don't want to burst your bubble or anything, but I don't want you to be dead and leave this place either. It says, everything is from God, and here's God's part, who brought us back into friendship or agreement with himself. How? Through Christ, or through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, Jesus took our sin and our shame and our punishment, and he died. Amen. That's still good. I don't care who you are. That's still good. Um, It's not ever going to not be good. If it ever gets not good, you need to go find Jesus. Um, It's still good. It says, everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And, by the way, here's the next part, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Why do we need new eyes? Because at the moment we were reconciled, we had a mission, and the mission is to reconcile. Your job on planet Earth is to fix relationships. Amen. You are a matchmaker. Look at that. That's your ministry. Now, some of you are like, well, then I need to get this person with this person. That's not the ministry. Um, the match is between someone and God. That's your ministry. Some of you are waiting on to somebody call you into the ministry. What ministry do you want to be called into? Do it or don't do it. Why do you need somebody to call you into something that God has already called you into? Right? Everybody has a work. Everybody has a job. If you know Jesus, immediately from that, you are called into this ministry of reconciliation. Not 42 years after, later after seminary. Like immediately, you're called into this ministry of reconciliation. And your job is to walk around the planet and find people who either are dead and need to be brought to life or find people who are far and bring them near. It's the mission of the church. It's the simplest mission ever, right? Like that's the only reason this church exists. And if that's not the reason, we will cease to be a church, or at least with me here. We have two things, right? 
to find those that are lost and so that they would be found and to find those that are far so they would be brought near. That's the thing. People that are out of fellowship with God or out of friendship with God that need to be brought back into that with God, that's the goal. And that's your job. And you can't do that job if you have thin skin. You know why? Because people are not easy to love. People just like you that are easy to love, that, that, that are whatever, they probably already know Jesus and they don't need your help. The people that are hardest to love, that's the people that need you and that's the people that God has called you to. Amen. I don't care if you like it or not, it's a true story. Go read James later, right? Pretty much any book in the whole Bible. What did what Jesus say to the disciples about how you love each other? They'll know that you're mine. Don't have thin skin. Don't constantly be walking around being mad at somebody. Don't let you get caught up in your feelings because it's not about your feelings. And if you get caught up in your feelings, it's because you are not on a mission. God called us to a mission, and the mission is of reconciliation. We have a job and a purpose. You know where churches fall apart and fight? When they lose the purpose. You know when Christians fall apart and leave? When they lose the purpose. That's the deal. I know, like there are situations between people that are hard situations. You pray for them if you can't talk to them. Because at the end of the day, the game is not between my feelings and their feelings. The game is between souls, and it's a high stake. If you can't minister to somebody and love somebody, how are you going to share heaven with them? Oh, they will never come in here because they blank, 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 blank. Get over it. You were dead. They're dead. Same thing. God saves. Heaven is open. Quit shirking your responsibilities because you're not comfortable or because you put your feelings in the way. Everybody you ever meet needs Jesus. I need Jesus. Christians need Jesus. Non-Christians need Jesus. Everybody you ever meet needs Jesus. And if you're the one that says, I've met him, then it's not somebody else's responsibility to do your job. It is your job to do your job. And your job is what? To be a reconciler. And if you can't do it, you just come down to it. It's not because you're not capable because he called you. It's because you're not willing. Amen. Sorry. My toes hurt too. It's not fun to hear this. You know the thing that I feel bad at? The thing that I feel like I cannot do? The thing that I feel so unaccomplished at? Because I can stand here and talk to a room full of people, but going up to somebody at the subway is hard. Going and talking to that friend at work that I know is lost, that's hard. Amen. But just because it's hard doesn't mean they should have to suffer. And just because it's hard doesn't mean they should have to leave this place without Jesus. God gave us a mission, and our mission is to be reconcilers. It says, now everything is from God. It's not you. It's not your ability. It's not your talent. It's not your comfort. Who reconciled us to himself, we've already got it, and that should bring concern. To give us a ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, here's the message, in Christ or in Jesus, through Jesus, God was, past tense, I love that. God was, years ago, God was, right? It happened already. God was reconciling the world to himself. When Jesus died on the cross, in that moment, God was reconciling the world to himself. Past tense. In that moment, right, like 2,000 plus years ago now, when Jesus died, God was bringing the world back into friendship and agreement with himself, meaning it's already been decided. You don't have to wonder if God can or will or is willing to forgive. Right? He decided years ago that he would forgive. I don't believe that. Well, then read the Bible some more. Right? What other word does was mean? God decided over 2,000 years ago that the world could come back into friendship and agreement with him. What I'm not saying is everybody's saved. Don't leave out of here with that. That would be a lie and people would die. But what I'm saying is that forgiveness is heaped up already. Right? What did we read last, last week? God who is rich in compassion or forgiveness. He's rich in mercy, Right? He's got storehouses full of mercy. Jesus' mercy on death on the cross was enough to fill the banks of heaven, right? And it's already been decided forgiveness is a possibility. You don't have to sit around and wonder, well, I don't know. I've done some bad things. I don't know if God will forgive me. No, he decided 2,000 years ago that he would forgive you. I've done, I don't know, man. You, you don't know what I've done. No, but he did, right? When he died, he did, and he decided. And he didn't say, I'm going to die for a couple people, right? For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, right? He's already decided, right? It's been written a really long time. It's already decided. Forgiveness is a possibility for everyone. And I think that's why one reason maybe Jesus hung out with like the people at the bottom of the barrel, like flip it over, scrape the gum off the bottom, those people. Jesus hung out with those people because he wanted us to know like everybody has an opportunity, it's not like a good people thing. There are no good people, first off. That's a lie. It's not like a church people thing, by the way. It's a everybody has an opportunity thing. God already decided, right? Like everybody could have forgiveness. God was 2,000 years ago reconciling the world to himself. He already made a way. Through Jesus. Through his death on the cross. Through Jesus taking our punishment. You know why you're not getting punished? Because Jesus took it. You know why God doesn't desire to crush you? Because he already desired to crush him. God was reconciling the world to himself. Listen, not counting there, out there, in here, trespasses or offenses against them. Already decided. And here's the news. He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Committed means entrusted, given. 
God already decided forgiveness is a possibility through Jesus. He already decided he's not going to count their trespasses against him, or at least he's willing not to. And here's what he did with that message. He said, you take it. I trust you with it. Oh, but I don't feel comfortable, but God trusted you with it. I don't feel like I know enough, but God trusted you with it. Do you trust people with stuff knowing they don't have the ability to do it? Like, would you leave someone to take care of your dog for a week while you were gone knowing they wouldn't feed your dog? It's not a good idea if you would because your dog would be dead. No, you trust people that have the ability, right? So if God called us all into a ministry of reconciliation and then he gave us that message, the message that says Jesus already died. He already decided that he would forgive you, but you got to trust in that. If he's given you that message and he said, I trust you to take it, it doesn't really matter how you feel about your ability to do it, does it? Oh, I'm not smart enough. Why? Because you don't know what happened to you? Because if that's the truth, we have a different issue. But here's the news this morning. God doesn't call people that can't do it. And if you know him, he's called you. You put it in your hand and he said, take it. We, the church, are here for one purpose. You know why we're not in heaven already? Because we're on a mission. And your mission is not to show up at church. Like that's something God wants you to do. That's part of being obedient. But that's not the mission. This is like equipping station, right? Training ground. This is where we reload. But it's not the mission. The mission is not to be a good person. Right? It's part of obedience, and you'll figure that out as you kill your body, right? Like the Jesus said, anybody who wants to come after me will take up his cross daily and crucify himself. Like that's part of it. You'll figure out the morality stuff. But Jesus didn't come to make us good, did he? He came to make us alive. And if we waste time trying to be good, we're never going to get there and people are going to die and go to hell. It's not about being good. It's about being on a mission and that mission is sharing the gospel. You read at home and you fix your issues, right? But the mission is not to fix your issues. The mission is to share the life that Jesus has given with people that need it. This is because of this, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassador is somebody like a government would send into another country to live there and to make the wishes known of their ruler. And we're here. This is not our home, by the way. If you're comfortable here, that's amazing, but it's not your home. But we're ambassadors. We're here for a reason, and that reason is to express the wishes of our master, Jesus. But it says this, we are certain that God is appealing 
through us. Oh, I can't do it. No, but I'm certain that He can. Oh, I'm not good enough. No, you're not, but I'm certain that He is. Oh, I'm, I don't know if they'll accept it. I'm certain that that's not what you've been called to. You've been called to share the message, right? It doesn't matter what they do with it. Water it up, throw it in the garbage can, burn it, kill you. That's what happened to most of these guys. That, that doesn't matter. But I'm certain that there's a mission. And I'm certain that God will use you. It says, because of that, we plead on Christ's behalf. I used to hate that word. Why would Jesus beg? Why would Jesus beg? I used to be so righteous in myself. Why would Jesus beg? He doesn't need to beg. He doesn't need to ask more than once. How many times did it take me, though? Aren't you glad that he was willing, even though he didn't need to? Jesus didn't need to beg. He didn't need to offer it in the first place. But here's the amazing thing. He doesn't do it because he needs us. He does it because he loves us. What's that mean for me? It means when I'm rejected, I continue. It means when I'm wounded, I fight on. When they say things about me, I say good things about them. When they curse me, I bless them. When they harm me, I pray for them. And I never, ever, ever, ever give up because I know here's the stakes. They could go to hell and be separated from God. And I don't wish that on anybody. I don't wish that on anybody. We can no longer see people in a purely human way. We have to see them through the eyes of Jesus. And what's Jesus declare over the people that he loves them? For God, right, so loved the world. Jesus declares that over, over the people. What's God declare over the people? That people are valuable. Good people and bad people, right? We're all bad people. People that are flawed and people that are perfect because none of us are perfect. People are valuable. How do I know? Because God gave his one and only precious son, the most precious one-of-a-kind item in the universe. God could make more of anything else. Do you get that? But there was only one Jesus who existed before and will exist after. It's precious. And God loved us enough to give that Jesus so that anybody, right? I don't get to decide. You don't get to decide. So that anybody that will believe in him, that's up to God. They might reject it. That's okay. They're not rejecting you. It doesn't mean you did a bad job. It doesn't mean you're an idiot. It just means that's how it works sometimes. So that anyone who believes, right, shouldn't perish. They, they, they're not going to die. They'll have everlasting life. And the amazing thing about that to me this morning is God's inviting you to be a part of that. Isn't that cool? Oh, but I'm just a teacher. God's inviting you to be part of that. Oh, but I'm just a stay-at-home mom or dad. That's great. God's inviting you to be part of that. I'm just a farmer. That's great. God's inviting you to be part of that. I'm just a student. Like, I'm a, I'm a kid, right? Like, God's inviting you to be part of that. I just work at a restaurant. That's great. God's inviting you to be a part of his mission. 
Uh, I just work at a convenience store. That's great. God's inviting you to be part of his mission. I don't have a job. That's amazing. You have a lot of free time. God is inviting you to be part of his mission. Oh, but I don't know anything. That's amazing. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. You don't have to know very much. You just have to know that you were dead and now you're alive and all that came through Jesus. That's great. There are people that want that. There are people that don't. But here's the amazing thing. God is inviting you to be a part of his mission. God's calling us out to that. He's saying to us today, you can, you can choose to be part of my saving work. Heaven's open. Heaven is wide open. I've, I've not shut the door. I've not closed the door. I've not just barely got the door propped. It's not like an exclusive secret club only certain people can come into. Like, I've called people. You go find them. I'm inviting you to be a part of my work. Heaven's open. Go tell people. It's not a bad message. It's not bad news. It's called the gospel. That in itself means the good news. Guess what? God chose to forgive you. Oh, yeah, you're a screw-up. You're a mess-up. You probably are an idiot. That's great. But here's the reality. God already decided on the cross that forgiveness was for you. And if you will just pour into that and lean into that and put your life in the center of his hands, forgiveness is a possibility for you. Oh, no, it's not a heaven or hell thing. That's, that's great that we're not going to have to go to hell. That's amazing. I love that. I don't want to go there. But the thing I'm excited about is I'm going to go be with Jesus. And you can do that too. How do I know that? Because Jesus came. That's cool, wasn't it? God left heaven. Stepped down here, like walked here. Put on flesh. Yeah, it became like you with temptations like you and and desires like you, but he never gave in, never, not one time. He lived a perfect life because he knew you couldn't do it. He followed through with everything God said was good and didn't do everything God said was bad. That was Jesus. And at the end of his life, instead of just going and being with God or, or, or just leaving painlessly in the middle of the night, he took the complete and total wrath of God for your sin. He died to forgive you. He decided he wanted to forgive you so bad, he took your sin and died for it. He took your bill, nailed it in his hands. And he said at the end of that, it is finished. And what he meant, let me just give you a little newsflash was, hey, you know what? There's nothing left for you to do. I signed your check, forgiven. Forgiven. You believe that? You believe that? And brother, you lean into that. You lean into that. God died for everybody so that all those who live should no longer live for themselves. It's not about you. But live for him. Let's pray.